When I mention the term super yacht, what comes to mind? Shady people in sunny places? Well, our guest today, Captain Sean Meager, might argue otherwise. But you know what? Bring your blazer just in case. This episode is brought to you by the Podcast Services Division at Lifestuff Media. Having your own podcast allows you to creatively reach all types of audiences, from clients to prospects, to your most loyal membership base. And by utilizing studio affiliates located around the world, coupled with quality remote recording capabilities, Lifestuff Media makes having a corporate podcast easier than ever before. Contact us for a no-obligation consultation at info at lifestuff.com or visit lifestuff.com to learn more. This is Life's Tough, but Explorers are Tougher. I'm your host, Richard Weiss. If you're new to Life's Tough, I'd like to welcome you and tell you a little about myself and the show. First of all, I love the outdoors. I always have, and I always will. And I've also been surrounded by explorers my entire life. My father, Richard Weiss Sr., was the first man to solo the Pacific Ocean in an airplane. The New York Times called him the Lone Eagle of the Pacific. Some of my fondest memories were standing out on our lawn underneath the stars with my father telling me how explorers use the stars to navigate. I guess we talked about a few other things as well. And speaking of talking, I host a television show called Born to Explore. It's on PBS stations around the country, so please check it out. And finally, I've been president of the world-famous Explorers Club. Just about every great explorer of the 20th and 21st century has been a member, including Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Jane Goodall, Theodore Roosevelt. Some people say it's like Harry Potter's Hogwarts, only for adults. I've heard stories that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You see, explorers are the type of people who walk in space, go to the bottom of the ocean, and stand on the highest summits. Scratch the surface of any explorer, and you'll find they're all storytellers. This show is about their tales. Well, greetings to you wherever you are in the world. So I'm going to start today with a little bit of a question. When you think of a super yacht, what do you think of? Uh, Does bikinis and speedos and champagne and caviar and just yachting through the Mediterranean come to thought. Maybe, uh, probably the last thing that you uh, can think of is environmental technology and all that kind of stuff. Well, today joining me is Captain Sean Meager, and he's going to explain why your perceptions may be wrong. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. So, so Sean, when we think of super yachts, and first of all, what is a super yacht versus just a, a plain old yacht? Th- that's a phenomenal question, and one I get often. And um, to that, I really there's been a couple of official answers that have been um, 
that have been uh, posted. But I think a super yacht is anything that was like, what is Superman? Um, I think it's something that's that's extraordinary. There are super yachts that are um, 100 feet and there are super yachts that are 400 feet. I think it has to do with the style, the technology and the um, and the uh, the design that goes into into it. It's like, what's a supercar? I mean, you could have a Toyota um, or you could have a Ferrari and no one would argue that a Ferrari is a supercar, but the size is generally the same. So Sean, you and I actually met through the uh, Monaco Yacht Club and it was, I, I believe, uh, environmental awards for super yachts. And that's, that sounds kind of like a real uh, contradiction in terms. And so how are super yachts environmental? Well, super yachts today, the, the codes that they're built to are extraordinarily stringent. Also, the places where we, where we actually cruise are some of the most environmentally sensitive areas in the world. So in order to cruise there and cruise there safely, the boats have to be zero emissions or close to that. Plus, we have to produce um, any any waste water that we put overboard is literally uh, drinkable water on board. The sewage treatment plants on these boats are extraordinary. Also, um, we have trash collection devices, ways to recycle on board. Um, there's some of the most stringent. Uh, they there's not just they don't just meet the regulations, often they exceed the regulations. And that's because the people that are build these boats are very forward thinking. You know, many years ago, I met um, Enzo Ferrari, and uh, that was kind of cool. And he had told me that they do Formula One racing, not because it's a very cost efficient sport, but he said, anytime you bring a, um, a car in this case to its nth degree, and that's what racing is, he goes, you learn so much about that technology that it eventually falls back down to other cars. So are there technological spinoffs that are being gleamed from uh, the yachting world? Absolutely. Uh, one of the more technologically advanced yachts of its time was, uh, was the Maltese Falcon. Uh, it was a sailing yacht that was built by Tom Perkins. And it had, uh, he wanted a, a modern square rigger. And the technology that came out of that boat had a tremendous trickle down of effect. Uh, I, I like to think of the yachting industry being as close to the space, uh, to, to the space, uh, the space industry as possible as, as you can get. Um, you're, I mean, you get guys like Jeff Bezos and um, Elon Musk and um, and Branson. I mean, they all have yachts and they're all into into the technology and a lot of the a lot of the same design features and uh, in innovations that they brought to their companies they bring into these yacht designs. And some of the yacht designers I've worked with are some of the most innovative, creative people um, on the on the planet. So the trickle down effect is is immense. Um, it just it, it reminds me of that movie, uh, The Devil Wears Prada, when um, uh, um, the blue sweater, the and, blue sweater, yeah, cerulean blue sweater. The uh, Anne Hathaway kind of chuckles when they're trying to pick out a belt for this outfit, and Meryl Streep said, "You know, this is uh, this stuff is um, is is important." And so they pick out this uh, the, the cerulean blue sweater that she was wearing actually came from a uh, filing's basement. 
Well, whatever it brought you up, that's going. That's dating us back into uh, into if, if definitely you're from Boston, if you can remember Filene's basement. But yeah, she found this cerulean blue sweater in a discount rack. But it what how it got there was was fascinating, and it all can't stemmed from the people in the room picking that color and have it filtering filtering down to um, to that discount basement. And whether we like it or not. The technology that we use on a daily basis does come from these innovations. Um, the cars that we drive did come from uh, the safety features came from the um, the the racing uh, the racing industry. Formula One, though, may seem frivolous. The yachting industry may seem frivolous, but the technology and the creativity that those industries drive is has countless um, trickle down effects. Um, into into our daily lives, whether we know it or not. So again, back to, um, excuse me, my original premise of a super yacht, the perception. So again, I, I've met some people um, who are the, the exception, at least in my mind. But, you know, is it fair to characterize um, the owners of these boats in any way or shape or form? I mean, there's got to be an element of, you know, the caviar and champagne, but you, you know, have seemed to indicate that you've seen another sort of side of it. Absolutely. I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of self-made men and women. And there, um, there's, you know, it's, it's funny. People ask me, they said, what's the only thing, you know, what, what do these guys have in common? What's the secret sauce? And basically the only thing that they all have in common is work ethic and a, and a thirst for thirst for knowledge. And that doesn't stop the second they buy a boat that doesn't, they, they don't turn off. So the typical, at least the guys that I've worked for, the, the typical yacht owners that, that I've worked for and been fortunate to work for want to see what's over that next horizon. They want to know um, why their vessels aren't running more efficient. And, it, and it's not because they want to pinch pennies. It's because they think, you know, well, well, how can we make it run more efficient? It's just, it's just in their, it's just in their DNA, the questions that they ask. And they've been all grateful to be going to areas of the world that, the average person doesn't get to see, and they they come away for, for from those experiences forever changed in a, in a, in a good way in that they want to preserve those areas. So so I, I know you've taken voyages up uh, towards the, the North Pole, Svalbard, which is a, a group of islands, um, technically part of Norway, but I mean it is as far up as you can go, you know, and still be on land. And uh, the Northwest Passages. So those seem to be the contradiction. If you're wearing a bikini on that one or a Speedo, God bless you, because I've been up in both areas. Um, yeah, I've been very, very fortunate to cruise in uh, some of the most remote areas on the planet, uh, not just in the northern hemispheres, but around the South Pacific and, and, and other areas. But uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll stick to the to the Northwest Passage. Um, that was uh, the decision to to take latitude through there was made um, kind of quickly, but it it really best illustrates the type of attitude that these guys have. Um, uh, uh, Anil Fadani is the owner of Latitude and just a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful human. Um, he's I mean he would never admit it, but he's put more people through school 
and built more houses for people and done more for anyone that I that I know. And he's never taken an ounce of recognition for it. So when he bought Latitude, I asked him, I said, why are you buying this boat? And if his question was, I want to sip cocktails in Central Pay, I would have said, well, I, I know a couple of guys would <laughs> be more than happy to do that for you. But he said, I want to go on adventures and photograph wildlife. And that's exactly what we did. We bought the boat and we decided that um, he wanted to go to Alaska. And I said, well, we were in Fort Lauderdale at the time. I said, we can go through the Panama Canal and up the coast of Mexico and California into Alaska. I said, or we can go up over the top to the Northwest Passage. And for those of you that don't know, the Northwest Passage is from the Atlantic Ocean in the Davis Strait to the Pacific Ocean through the Bering Strait. It was a path originally discovered by Roald Amundsen in the early 1900s. And um, when we did it to date, there had only been 215 boats that had ever uh, accomplished that feat. But when I suggested that to him, he immediately, he looked at the map and then he looked at me and said, well, that's what we have to do. And that's how fast we made the decision. And I had about eight weeks to prepare for that trip. Uh, but the, um, but that's the type, that's the type of guys that these guys are. They, 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 he saw that frontier. His mission was to go on adventures and photograph wildlife. And we just went ahead. We just went ahead and did it. We figured out how to do it. Sean, I, w- I would think there would be more downside as for a captain to go that route because, you know, g- going through that area past Greenland, that's where a lot of ice flows calf off. And obviously, if an issue comes up with your ship or something, you know, to, you're not that close to, you know, your local yacht club to get repairs. Uh, you know, a million people will tell you, how not to do something um and that's the other thing that i like about working for these guys too it's like you know nothing would get done if um (laughs) if if, you know i never i didn't see uh, i saw the you know just the paperwork going through the panama canal was i was more of a um Owners. more of a headache yeah. than ever going through an ice field. It was uh, uh, just dealing with the bureaucracy and dealing with the human factor is what always made me crazy in this industry. It's just the, is what you, you have to, the hoops that you have to jump through to get from, from A to B up there was a, was a frontier. You were, we were relied solely on what we brought with us and, and the knowledge that we, um, that we brought and learned and learned along the way. And, and it, epitomizes everything that um or how i've always tried to live my life so to me th- that was the easy that was the easy choice and it was the easy choice for anil thadani too it was um uh th- there that was the only way to go and when we pr- when we completed it in um the first time in, in 2014 we then moved our way down to San Francisco. And I have to admit, I was, we were just emotionally, physically, we were burnt to a crisp. But when faced with the decision of what do we do next, um, I knew we had to go back. I knew we had to do it again, this time west to east. And when we did it this time, we were the third private boat in history ever to do that. We were the ninth boat in history of, of any type of boat ever to do that. But there really wasn't a choice. Um, when I wrote that itinerary, I knew that that 
was we were going to go from San Francisco to London via the Northwest Passage, um, and that was the that was the only decision. And if you're an innovator and you're an explorer, those are the only choices: is 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 to go forward, is is to keep is to keep pushing that boundaries. It's what got us out of caves. It's what got us to the moon, and will eventually what will get us to the Mars and to the into the stars. And, and that type of attitude is a wonderful thing. And that's the other thing that these voyages do and these super yachts do is they, I mean, they're the stuff of dreams. Um, they give us, give us something to strive to. They're, um, these, these are vehicles of imagination. And there are people that have them and don't appreciate that. But then there are the ones that thrive on that. And, and that's what I think the real benefit of these of these boats and what this industry has to is doing and has the potential to do on a broader scale. Sean, how does one become a super yacht um, captain? <laughs> what was the? You didn't start on a super yacht. I have to imagine that your probably first boat might have been a Boston Whaler or something like that. Actually, my first boat, my second boat was a 13-foot Boston Whaler. Um, that's a great guess. Um, my first boat was uh, when I was eight years old. My mother bought me a laser and said, here you go. Sailboat. And, yeah. And um, it's probably she'd be thrown in jail for that these days. Uh, it was basically you're giving an eight-year-old a sailboat and tell him to go sailing, which I did. And I learned how to do that in Nantucket Sound. Um, I was also very fortunate. I attended Tabor Academy. I was on the Tabor Boy, uh, which was a 92-foot staysail schooner. And my summer job was I worked for Highline Cruises, which were the ferry boats that ran between Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. When I was 18, I got my first captain's license, and they made wow. me the captain. Um, yeah, they made me the captain of a boat called the Prudence and then the Patience. The Prudence was the oldest continuous running passenger vessel in the United States at the time. She's actually running in, um, in Greenwich, Connecticut right now. Um, it still is the Prudence. And the Patience was built in 1983 as a replica of her. And they were big, um, old lumbering single screw vessels. And I would do nine dockings, nine off the dock, nine back on the dock every single day. And, um, I was young enough to really have no preconceived notions about anything, really. And I was young enough not to be fearful of anything. And so I got tremendous experience doing that, uh, running those running those sightseeing boats and then eventually running the ferry boats. And I um, I got into the got into the super yachts. It was uh, it kind of by accident. My stepfather uh, suggested he said he had a good friend that was in that industry in that industry and he said you know why don't you get on the floor to see if you can get on a boat and um i and i did my first boat was called octopussy and it was the at the named after the james bond movie and after at the time it was the fastest jet boat in the world um so i spent a season in uh in florida and the bahamas and then went over to the med on board that boat and now come on the, the octopussy had to have champagne caviar oh Th this sounds that like boat, come on. yes now that that boat and that particular owner he was a champagne and caviar type of guy and um it, it was it was funny it was it was actually the only only boat job i ever got fired from <laughs> well now that's a story unto itself come on i i, I know nobody 
I, I don't know anybody who's actually been on the octopusy, but I want to know why one gets fired off the octopusy. Well, I got it was um, it was it was interesting. I don't know. It, it was the captain was young and I was young and it was too many bulls in the pen. And um, it, it just we, we had different philosophies on management skill. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But it greatly hampered my ability to do to be to be my best on 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 board that boat. And he he said to me, he says, you know, you're going to have to leave. And I said, well, you have to fire me. And so he did. And uh, do, do you have any uh, still uh, ashtrays or cups or anything that you know, I have ha- shirts? You have I shirts. Still have, you I still have an official octopus T-shirt from uh, from that. It's, it's from that boat. But anyway, because of and he also said to me as I was walking out the door, he goes, I don't think this industry is for you. Um, you know, maybe you should think of doing something else, which was the right thing, because if someone tells me no, you know, I that inspired me. So I left that boat. I actually took classes on management. Um, I upgraded my license and then, uh, the rest, as they say, is, um, then I took, I took a little sabbatical from that industry, but I kept, I went back and ran the ferry boats and, and honed, honed a lot of my, um, a lot of my skills. I ran a, I started a, a, a company that was completely out of the industry, but, um, again, those skills, uh, helped me to get back in the industry, which is, which is what I eventually did. I ran this company for four years, sold it, and I was sitting at my desk and the phone rang and it was Effley Bailey. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> and he said, he goes, I have a client. Um, he says, he's got this boat. Would you be interested in running it? And it was a 65 foot uh, little, con- little um, Kong and Halverson in New England. And I did. And I had a great Wait, time doing it. 65 feet and little doesn't really in my world sort of equate, <laughs> but go ahead. So I did. I ran that. Had a good time. He then had um, another fleet of vessel. He had a fleet of vessels down in Florida, but he had another small explorer yacht in Thailand. And he said, "Do you want to go to Thailand and run this boat for me?" And I said, "Absolutely." And I wound up going to Phuket. I arrived ten days after the tsunami uh, was there, and it was uh, uh, it was an interesting time in 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 Thailand, but that's where I met a guy named Bill O'Leary and, and Ed Shields, who I owe both a huge debt, um, for my career. Uh, ran that, ran that boat in Thailand for, um, for a season. And then he came to me and said, do you want to run my 162 footer in the Mediterranean? I said, yeah, I, I would. And he put me, he put me in the chair. It was funny. The insurance company wasn't going to sign off on me. And he, he called the insurance company and said, so you're not going to sign off on them. And they went, well, no, we'd like to see him have more experience. And he said, okay, well, I won't be needing your services anymore. This is Jim Irwin, the, the owner of that. And they went, well, we'll give him a chance. And, uh, and that's, he got me my first ride. And for that, I'll forever be grateful. He was, uh, out of, um, a lot of the uh, the these the owners that I've worked for, he was extraordinarily accessible in that I learned a tremendous amount from him because he would be negotiating deals or doing something, and I would say, you know, this is I mean, this is going back 20 years ago. I said, well, how would you do that? And he would tell me and he'd show me. So when I actually got offered a better job and I used his negotiating tactics kind of like against him, it made him furious. 
but he was very proud of me. He told me that, like, you know, after I had left and he, his temper died down, he was kind of like, he said, well, at least you learn something while you're on board this boat. From there, I went and ran 186-foot uh, Perrine Abbey, which is a sailboat called Baraska. It was a Ron Holland design. And then uh, came back and ran a charter boat out of the U.S. after Baraska was done. And then ran a boat in the South Pacific called Blue Gold. She was a 162-foot staysail schooner for a lovely Dutch family um, who never showed up. And I basically played pirate running around the <laughs> South Pacific on this. I did. It was, they're like, here's this boat. And we were sailing around Vanuatu and New Zealand and Fiji and hardly anyone ever on board. And they let me do some cool projects on that. They were very, um, the, again, um, we actually did a project for the Bank of Vanuatu. And this is something that you never... Uh, and this is something I'll segue into about the yachting industry is like, and this is stuff you'll never hear about. Um, anytime that there was a catastrophe in Vanuatu, we were, um, we were at anchor. We had always someone monitoring channel 16. We became the de facto coast guard there. We did a lot of different search and rescues that turned out positive because someone was at the switch and we're, we were a highly trained crew in search and rescue. Um, I have a little bit of a background in it. I did that on the Colorado river, but um uh, we, when there was uh, medical supplies that needed to go to outer islands, we would bring those medical supplies to them or school books or, 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 or what have you. Um, when Bank of Vanuatu asked us to do a project to set up to literally build banks on remote islands, and I'm not talking like a big brick and mortar building, we'd put, put a satellite dish up in a little box in a computer so that people could open bank accounts. We did that at a, a tremendous discounted discounted rate. Um, after Hurricane Pam came through, we, um, myself and some of the other yacht owners um, raised money to rebuild um, a community center there. Uh, Firefly, which is a wonderful organization, big yacht over there, um, made water for the communities in the South Pacific um, after that particular hurricane. Um, um, uh, um, Latitude, when I was there on Latitude, we went and visited these islands again, bringing supplies where we could. Uh, uh, um, the, uh, during the latest hurricane in the, um, in the Bahamas, uh, you had Loon um, coordinate rescue operations out of their helicopters and bringing in supplies. I mean, they would, had medicine, they set up um, I mean, uh, these are the things that you don't think of when you when you hear about super yachts. But so, so these owners have the have the means and we, we I mean, we can make water. We have literally hospitals on board the boat. And when there's an emergencies, we're often in areas that other other um, organizations can't get to. And, and we're usually first on the scene. Uh, so uh, that, that's a, a quick aside. But anyway, back to my story. After Blue Gold, I went on board another boat called Nuvita back in the U.S. And then um, left that after three years and got on Latitude. And Latitude was really the boat that I, I got to do um, a lot of the, the, the exploration on, on board. And I ran that for five years. Sean, you, you mentioned that you were sort of on a lot of these people, a fly on the wall where you see or hear how they do business, which to me has got to be a tremendous education. There's got to be a, a little bit of a balancing act because most of these individuals are accomplished or successful because of certain personality traits. So, you know, what are some of those takeaways in terms of what you've learned, boundaries, you know, sort of knowing how far to push 
before you, you know, become a victim of their wrath. I mean, there's got to be a, a lot of balancing acts there. Yeah, there is. There's there's a there's a there's a line. There's 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 a certain amount of respect. There's uh, I, I, I'm which is got me in trouble because sometimes I don't know where the line is. Um, the the I share a lot of the same personality traits that these guys share. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's and great they, to have billionaire taste without being a billionaire, isn't it? Yeah, well, no, I mean, the uh, um, don't tell me they're just like you and me because it's not true. I mean, I, I, I don't have a great deal of exposure to billionaires, but their world becomes crazy because when you're a billionaire. Everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants to tell you about a deal. Everybody will laugh at that's your not, joke. No, it's, it's, well, the, yes. Yeah. You're a hundred percent correct on that. And, and that's the one thing that I was, I was always that. Yeah. All right. That would probably be the biggest takeaway. I never discussed, I very rarely discussed business or I never, Blake said, you know, a couple of times, I, if I had, it, it, it's interesting because they're, they, they, my philosophy was that these guys come on board their, their boats to escape. And they don't want to be inundated with business. There were some guys that I worked for that were just on all the time, and they were actually just miserable pricks. The uh, but you get them like out, you get them decompressing, and then they they are just they just want to have fun. Um, they've got tremendous amounts of responsibility that are that are on their that are on their shoulders. It was interesting. Anil uh, on latitude probably the the most. Again, I've worked with some like brilliant, brilliant people and brilliant minds. Anil, head and shoulders, was uh, when he was firing all, all, all 12 cylinders. I mean, it, he was frightening. To, it was frightening to watch. But when he was just hanging out, when we were just on board the boat, like, you know, taking pictures of polar bears or or doing stuff or just, you know, we we're watching like Netflix in the main salon. He's just, he's a great guy to hang out with. Um, and that's what he liked to be when he was on board that boat. He, he worked hard to get to that point. He would remind me constantly that he, he wasn't a billionaire. And um, we were on the top deck and we, had, I had actually designed this table um, that was on the top deck, which had a, was a really cool table. It had all different, for all four hemispheres of the globe and then our voyages juxtaposed with like cook and shackleton and um um admonson on the carved into the table is a neat piece anyway we're looking at this table and a friend of his that was on board the boat um is there and we're telling him about all our adventures and he said to anil he says she's anil he goes uh, i want to be i because i want to be you when i grow up and anil looked at him and with all seriousness said he goes well you could be if you weren't such a greedy f Wow. So, you know, I mean, that's kind of interesting because, um, you know, I, I, I've often had um, very well-to-do people look at my lifestyle as an explorer and go, wow, I'd love to do what you're doing. And I always think to myself, you actually you, you can, you actually can, you just you have can. to sort of, you know, ex accept things. So Sean, what, what's the biggest takeaway or, or, or surprise that you had in this career? In my career? Yeah. Biggest takeaway, biggest surprise. You know, when, when we're when we're writing your obituary and uh, or you're writing oh, it so from from the super yacht in the sky, you know, what was the one thing that you didn't expect when you started it? And what's the biggest life lesson you've learned from doing it? It sounds a little bit of a cliche, but the uh, money does not bring happiness. Um, the 
uh, known a lot of miserable, miserable rich guys. Fortunately, I haven't worked for a lot of them. Um, I would say that's probably one of the biggest takeaways. The uh, um, also it's a very important. Okay, this is this goes back to very early, early in my career. I worked for a guy named Joe Friedman. He owned JNR Music World. Joe is one of the funniest guys I know, um, and just and a nut uh, in a good way. And um, we were, he was actively involved, like in the boat was a small, uh, small 65 foot um, kind of go fast boat. We were in Long Island Sound. And he and I were in the engine room. I was the only crew member on board. He and I were in the engine room. We were fixing a pump. And I was getting tired. And um, I, uh, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to take a break or get something. And Joe's like, I'm going to, um, he's like, hey, because I'm going to give it one more try. Of course, he got it working. And one of the biggest takeaways that I, I think I can, I, I, and I, I learned that lesson right there and then is like, these guys never quit ever um, un, until it's done. There's, and I learned right there and then that there is a solution to everything. You just have to work hard enough to find it. Um, and that was a cue that I've taken from all these guys all these innovators, all these great businessmen is that they'll put their mind onto a goal and they are relentless in achieving that goal. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a heartless, um, a, a heartless individual. It just means that you never can lose sight of that. Someone asked me um, when I was going through the Northwest Passage and there was more ice than there had been in decades. This is dumb. Did you ever worry that you weren't going to get through? And 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 I said, I said to them, I said, the thought never crossed my mind. It, ne it never occurred to me that we were not going to make it ever, not once. And that's the biggest takeaway that I can see this coming from that is coming from this industry and, and coming from the, pe the people, the individuals that I've been privileged to work for is that once you set your mind onto, uh, onto a goal, it's that all doubt recedes, all fear recedes. Um, at least on the surface. I mean, there's, you're always going to have doubts. You're always going to have fears, but, and you got to be smart about it, but, but anything is achievable. And, and that's my, that's my biggest takeaway is that anything is, is, is achieve if you're, anything is achievable. Well, I think we'll, we'll leave it off on that, but I just want to remind you that if by chance you are cruising through the Long Island Sound and are lonely for company on that super yacht, you know, you, you have my phone number, Sean, you have my phone number. You are always welcome aboard. Okay. And I, I will take you up on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sean, thank you so much for being a guest. Uh, uh, honestly, I, you know, it's, it's so easy to put uh, certain things in a box or a very large box in the case of super yachts, but you know, it's a lot more nuanced than most people expect. Tremendously so. All right. Thank you for being a guest. My pleasure, Richard. Talk to you soon. Every great expedition has to come to an end, but that doesn't mean we can't stay in touch. Send us your favorite expedition pictures and tell us about your most memorable journeys, large or small. All right. Get something to write with. Here are my coordinates. www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. One more time, www.lifestuff.com 
www.lifestough.com slash explorers. That's it for today. Hope to see you out on the trail.